you know, we just have a different perspective. And then myself being on the digital side of politics for a long time after the policy and lobbying work, I often was the only female in the room and or the youngest person in the room. I still am in that regard, especially in Louisiana politics. But when we find good, smart, like-minded women, we cling to them and we all help each other out. That is the power of this and this movement in particular. Welcome to Political Contessa. I'm Jennifer Nassor, and this show is here to support your interest in center-right politics, policy, and breaking news. Listen in and discover how to awaken your inner ideal candidate and, if you're ready, how you can jump in and change the world as a runner or a supporter. Welcome to Political Contessa. If you or a friend have ever considered running or you know a woman who should, I've got something just for you. My quick guide called Secrets from the Campaign Trail. It will show you five signs to tell you you're ready to enter the political arena. To get these tips and learn about all new podcast episodes and ways to get involved, head over to politicalcontessa.com. Hello, and welcome to Political Contessa. I'm Jennifer Nassor, and I am your Political Contessa. I love having smart women on with me, women who work in the same space as I do, doing really cool things that circle around politics, policy, and so many of the wonderful women around the country I've met. I've met because of my work in the women's space, and even more so lately with everything with the Nikki Haley campaign. So today I have with me on this episode, Cassie Alsfeld. So Cassie is a friend of mine from Louisiana, from New Orleans. Cassie, I don't know if I told you, but one of my daughters, my my daughter just applied to one of the schools in Louisiana. So we'll see. We'll see when I get some news. Smart girl. <laughs> but Cassie is the founder and CEO of Shoreline Strategies. She founded in 2015. It's a digital marketing, messaging, and fundraising firm. She's the managing partner of a new firm called Hashtag Amplified which brings the best tools, technologies, and talent to solve specific challenges and meet specific goals in the political advocacy and startup spaces. Cassie's also the Louisiana State Chair for Women for Nikki, and she's Ooh. also the co-founder and co-chair of Membership and Development for Elevate Louisiana. I love this. The top cross-partisan nonprofit organization in Louisiana that brings together the state's top female leaders to identify data-driven common sense solutions to solve Louisiana's greatest issues. Now, Cassie also, we have we have crossed over over the years. She was one of the first digital operatives in the Republican Party first hire at the National Republican Congressional Committee and at the RNC after the Romney campaign and the first digital copywriter. And she built the email and marketing and online small dollar fundraising programs for the entire Republican Party. So she is pretty much hot shit. And <laughs> I am so excited to have you with me, Cassie. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me, Jen. I am a big fan of yours and this podcast. And I'm so honored and privileged to be able to to speak with you today and to do my first podcast. And I'm a big podcaster. So going to have to have you on more and more because now that this is your first one, you're going to get addicted. 
I know. I think I'm going to get the buzz instead of sleeping at night. I'm I'm working all hours, and then my my good night routine is listening to political podcasts or things about the Real Housewives legal drama. There's a nice (laughs) effect there. Of course, of course, you need to throw some of that in there. (laughs) Yeah, maybe some true crime too. But you know, I'm now going to sound incredibly crazy with those three categories. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, politics and true crime and drama. (laughs) It's an intersection. They all cross over together. <laughs> well, you, you really don't know which one's the, the reality show or, or the scripted these days. Oh, yeah. You know, like right? we were talking about earlier. My gosh, it's oh, yeah. know, the wild, wild west out there. And and just the past few years under under this, a certain former president has just been, it feels like a reality show. And every day you just don't know what you're going to get. Yeah. I mean, he was a re- reality TV star, yeah. right? I mean, and yeah. that's exactly, it was like living in in the, the real lives of the Kardashians meets, I don't know, <laughs> George Santos. Uh, it's like every time you turn around, you just think things get crazier and crazier. So, I mean, and Veep. Oh, and Veep. And Veep. It was like a real life Veep episode or just con- the entire series. <laughs> exactly. Oh, oh. Un- unbelievable. Well, that is why now for you and I, we have both been, you started even younger than I did, but let's talk about why you got the bug for politics. Well, so I, I have an interesting story. So I, I grew up in New Orleans and grew up with a, a, large family of strong women, strong, empowered women. And when I was four years old, my grandmother ran for office. She was running for city council and went on to serve city council and in the House of Representatives and back in city council, all the way up to president of New Orleans City Council. And just there through Katrina, I was with her working at city hall at the time. But backing up to that, she's somebody who had five daughters raised them, was involved in everything under the sun in the community. And then the the eldest daughter was an environmental epidemiologist consulting NATO. And the youngest is an Academy Award nominated Golden Globe and Emmy winning actress. So we That's we kind of have some high bars in this, this family. But I grew up with the idea and the notion that anything was possible. I could do anything. I could be anything. And I mean, my grandma went from, you know, being a mom of five to, you know, to needing to pay for them to go to college. She became a realtor and wound up being very, very successful and a realtor broker and still owns her own agency. And, and my, my aunt, my mom worked with her and she was the first or second female president of Louisiana Realtors Association and was involved in the National Association. And that kind of gave her the bug to run for office. And I mean, here she is in the 80s running for, as a grandmother, running for office for the first time, which was just such a unique experience. And our family ran her campaigns. And she said that when I was four, I was the one tagging along with her. And I just had this light in my eyes and just this excitement about it. And I still remember that feeling. It was like waking up on Christmas morning. Everything was still dark outside. And we'd get donuts and, and chocolate milk and get to go walk all the streets for hours on end. And I loved it. And everybody else complained. I'm one of four. And we're all a year apart. So we were all very young. Oh, and wow. everybody was forced to, to do the work. And to go everywhere with my grandma. My grandma still is everywhere. She goes to everything, is involved in everything. And that wasn't lost on me. That's still very important to me. And I kind of just have 
live my life that way. And and it's interesting because, like I said, about her running at her age and at that time when there were very few women in office, she said that it, on her mother's deathbed, she told her, you need to run for office. And that was kind of the spark that ignited this passion for her to be a true public servant, which she was and still is. And she said she saw something in me and saw that I had that bug and that that interest. And so I started working on us doing all of her campaigns growing up in that. And also New Orleans is notorious for its, its interesting political candidates and system, to say the least. So I, I, I pretty much had a PhD in politics by the time I was in high school. And I interned, was a page at the House of Representatives uh, back in 2001. Um, and I always helped and volunteered with my grandma working in her offices even if I was there for a slumber party or, or I was working, we were answering those those calls because she'd give everybody her home phone number and we'd take down notes from the answering machine every night to like oh, two wow. at a very young age. And I'd have to write the thank you notes or like rip out stuff from uh, the newspaper if there was somebody doing something cool or special and going to all the events with her and all the meetings and three churches on Sunday. And so it was never that whole aspect of public service was instilled in me very young age. She was never just some politician. She was a true public servant. People still call on her to try to help fix this mess in, in New Orleans politics these days. And she's a big Nikki uh, fan as well. And so we're going to get her involved in the campaign. But I went on to, to I was in an all-girls Catholic school in high school. And that is where my interest in and in involvement in different leadership programs and such began. It was actually one of the brothers there who saw something in me and, and recommended that I do this leadership program. And that kind of opened my eyes to everything. Mind you, people don't believe this, but anybody that knows me growing up is that I was very, very shy, painfully shy, and just nervous and anxious about everything. I would not speak in crowds, would not even speak up in school, would hide behind poles in my parents, in my mom's legs. And my, I went to high school a year early and for this honors NAP program. And something told me to run for class president. And to the shock of everyone, including myself, I won. And mind you, I couldn't give a speech, so I sang it to Shania Twain, man, I feel like a woman. And I changed the man, I want to vote for Cassie. So that kind of gave me the bug and then went on to all sorts of leadership positions and was still working on campaigns and stuff. And then, and mind you, my, my high school and also my grammar school were the same schools that Amy Coney Barrett went to. And so it was kind of, it was really neat years later when I got to kind of help her on the advocacy front, get in the Supreme Court. But yeah, so I knew then that I wanted to do something political and with my career and and going to school for it. And I, I never wanted to stay in state for school. But then one day, like a few weeks before I was supposed to begin college at another college, mind you, I was fully enrolled in everything. I woke up and decided I want to go to LSU. That was not on my list. That was not even on the roadmap. And my parents were like, what is wrong with you? You can't just up and go to go to a totally different college. Like we don't even have anything like it's 
it's right now, logistically, that doesn't make sense. That's not going to work. So they made me write out 50 or 100 reasons why I wanted to go to LSU. And one of those reasons was I wanted to be one of the first student body pre- female student body presidents of LSU, which I achieved wow. and went on to become several statewide boards commissioned by the governor. I went on, I wanted to be in a sorority and Kappa Delta sorority, which I'm still very heavily involved in. I wanted to go to their, uh, they had a, a very, uh, actually the first political communication program in the country. And it, it's absolutely the best. And it's in their, in the MassCom um, school there, which is one of the oldest journalism schools in the country and most prestigious. And I knew that I wanted to know about and learn about and do political communication. And this was my opportunity. This was my chance. I still work with and am friends with so many of the people in my classes. I mean, it was a very small program. There were only like 10 of us per class when LSU is a school of 27,000 people. Those experiences changed my life. And I said, I wanted to go to DC for college, but I, when I was making that list, I said, you know what? I'll go to DC right after I graduate too. I know I need to do these things to set myself on the path to be able to go to Washington and make a difference. And then Hurricane Katrina hit during that time and while I was in college. And that also just changed my entire perspective on things. And ultimately, I I went on to moving to Washington as planned after interning for Scalise in his um, district office. And went to Washington three months after graduating college and worked on the Hill. It was this kind of fluke election that got the first Republican elected to represent the New Orleans area since Reconstruction. So I got to work for him and do a lot of post-Katrina and at the time BP oil spill recovery. And that was when Obamacare was being passed. The economic recession was happening. I also graduated at the height of it. So I had a really lovely experience starting out in the working world. It took me a while to get into the Hill. I had to work for free. That's a common theme in my entire life and career, even till still today, almost 40 years old. But what I talk about a lot with this is that the, the juxtaposition of growing up in that empowering environment where a woman could be anything, I could do anything. And here I am in the South, but New Orleans is such a unique culture and, and empowering city. And I really felt like I could change the world. Then I started when I was in student by president at LSU, I realized that I was starting to be looked at differently and talked about differently and people were commenting on my appearance. And it's, it was almost like when, and saying stuff about how and the journalists were writing this about how I was wearing curls and softy shorts and my sorority shirt and riding around in my daddy's Mercedes and stuff like that. And I'm like, what are you even talking about? These labels they put on people and and the things, it, the, it was just these supposed champions of women and people that, especially on the left, that were acting like they're all about equality and empowering others. They had so many assumptions, made so many assumptions about me, which has been a common theme in my life, and couldn't see who I was authentically because they were too busy or not even just who I was, what I was doing and accomplishing, which was, I mean, some of the biggest decisions ever to be made 
at LSU, but also in Louisiana. This was a huge time of recovery for the state because they were so busy labeling and making assumptions and judging. And then Washington was just beyond eye-opening. I, I for once, realized what it, what it meant to be a woman in politics. And I had to know my place and not speak up. I wasn't allowed in certain rooms. People would put their hands in my face and not let me speak. And I wasn't given certain jobs or, or pay anywhere near what others were, were making. And I was doing all the work wearing 10 hats in every single job I was in, not to mention working for free to prove myself to get in there. But I say all this because when, when we're talking with Nikki, which we had an extreme privilege to have her come on our, our Women for Nikki Zoom today. And just so much of what she said to us really hit home on so many levels. It was, we were talking about this earlier, but just with that, when one of the ladies asked her, what is it like and how do you navigate being a woman in politics? And I think she has done it perfectly. To a T, it's so hard to navigate and to know how to navigate. People have done that before. And, you know, you see on the left, they they like to just label everyone and everything and, again, make the assumptions and judgments and having these pre- preconceived notions about people and ideas and, and such. You don't see them elevating these female, strong, empowered females that are coming in from our side, but um, like Nikki Haley. But I loved that she was talking about how she, everybody would make such a big deal especially when she was first starting out, like pointing out, oh, she's a female. Oh, she's this or that. And mind you, she also is young. She's considerably much younger than anybody else who was trying to get in there, but White House. But it was just really empowering to hear her say that she's just owned it. She's owned her femininity. She's owned the fact that when they were talking about how she likes to wear, talking about her heels, well, she likes to wear heels, but get the heel side inches straight. It's right. It's, She's not wearing three-inch heels. She's wearing five-inch heels, and they can be used as a weapon. And she likes wearing dresses, and she's fine doing girly things. But when it comes time to talking about policy, she's going to talk about policy and get things done. And I think she strikes that great balance between being this strong, powerful, commanding presence of a woman and just this just a true statesman or stateswoman of a leader, you know, who can compete on the global stage with the other leaders within the UN and all the other governors when she was one of the only female governors, you know, in South Carolina, here she is competing against them and holding her own. But then she can still, you know, have wine with her girlfriends and still talk about what's going on in pop culture. Yeah, she can talk about her kids. She can talk about her husband. She, I I think, so her being on with us was such a, I almost started crying when she was saying about her shoes and about how people judge her. And because like you, I've been in that same position. And, And I, at one point, thought because I was a young woman in politics in the 1990s and it wasn't sexual 
assault, but it was the misogyny. It was the yes, comments. That's right? the worst part. Like I just that that's worse than anything else. Like I'm not worthy because I'm a woman and the men were because they were men. And so I felt like I needed to wear a pantsuit and I needed <laughs> And then all of a sudden, one day, it was, I was at the very end of law school and I got to the point where I looked around, I'm like, seriously, all these jokers, I am a thousand times smarter than every single guy in the room. Yes. And when they need someone to put out there to go speak to the press, or they need a young person on a board, it's me. They need a young person on a commission. It's me. They need someone to walk Bob Dole around. It was me. So wait. I'm smart enough to do all of that stuff. I and then I got to a point of like, all at the same time too. All, all at the same time, you can right? Jumble it all. I was the young Republican president. I mean, I had a while I was in law school, while I was in grad school. And finally I found my myself and I said, you know what? I like wearing dresses and I like being a girl. And I I show up frequently to panels in especially here in Boston where it's freezing eight months a year in leather leggings and knee boots. And, and you have the best style. Okay, well, too. thank you. But I want to be empowered because it makes me feel good to be true to who I am, not to try to be someone else that society is expecting. When people see me, they're like, wait, oh, oh my God. And I'm like, what What did you expect I was going to look like, right? And so so for her to say that, and, and what one of the things that she said, and I know you and I both love this, this comment that Nikki made, but she said, I don't need to say what people can see, right? Uh, that was everything to me. Everything. I, I wrote it down. I'm going to like pin it up. That was what needs to be said and blown up everywhere. I'm because a girl. That, you don't know I'm a woman. I don't need to tell you I'm a woman and I don't need to defend the fact that I'm a woman yeah. to you. Right. And and I think that that being a woman in politics is and this is why I didn't like Hillary Clinton. And this is the one of one of many differences yeah. <laughs> between having Hillary Clinton run for president and having Nikki Haley. But one of many differences is when Hillary Clinton was running. I don't like her policy, but okay, you have to respect the fact that someone gets a nomination and they're running for president. You have to respect the fact that someone is running to seek their nomination. And but and and so I don't like her policies. I don't like anything else. But she was the first woman to get to that level. The problem with Hillary Clinton that I saw as a woman in politics, she was not looking to lift the glass ceiling and bring everyone up with her. She wanted to get through the glass ceiling. And I'm sure my Democratic girlfriends are listening are going to say that's not true. It is true. And she was going to shut the glass ceiling and lock it until she has totally done. And she has a history of that. And and it was not going to be any different if she became president. She was not looking to lift everyone up. But when we're on a Zoom with Nikki Haley, she talks to all of us and says, this is the best group of girlfriends, right? Yeah. And that actually, again, like it makes me want to cry, it brings tears to my eyes, it gives me chills. Like how amazing this woman is running for president of the United States. And she is saying, I think this group of girlfriends is motivating to me. It it makes me work harder. It makes me do more and like breathes life into my day now. Right. And, and that to me is, it just speaks volumes about the type of person she is. But the thing that women in politics have not enjoyed 
and we have at different levels and you and I have a lot of the same friends and, and thank God for those women, because there's not a tremendous amount of sisterhood. So when you find it, you glom onto it and you're like, I'm not letting this friendship go because this is such a rarity. And we all try to help each other out. Like you and I have been involved in a lot of different women's groups and and when you saw me come on board, well, when I saw you first come on board to Women for Nikki, I freaked out. And our mutual friend, Larissa Martinez, who, who created Women's Public Leadership Network, which we're both involved with, she she was like, you have to talk to Jen about this. So I was like, oh my gosh, fangirling. So excited about uh, uh, Nikki getting in. And, and this was before her just Haley's Comet momentum that just like exploded. And, and I'm so excited and for you and just that good women were getting involved because, and I knew you were a, the type of woman who supports other women. And Larissa was like, you need to connect with her. Well, I didn't even do that because I was down with a million other things because I knew you would have been like, come on board. And so, but it was, so it's funny. You didn't even know that background story. Cause I was just like, I no. need to get involved in this campaign. This has been literally my life's dream to have a candidate like this, a movement like this. I've literally been working towards this my entire life, my entire mission in life. And my career has been surrounded about it. I've worked with a lot of different candidates and, and women's groups to try to get more women to run for office, get involved in the process, be at the tables and so when I was seeing this, I'm like, okay, what am I going to do? I need to get get on board. And Larissa was more than happy to connect us, and when which just speaks volumes about that sisterhood. And and then when I came on board, because I think she and some others have recommended me separately, which I didn't know about till later, to the the Nikki Haley campaign. When I did come on board, you were the first person to welcome me in, and you got so excited. They were announcing somebody else had come on board too. And you're like, ah, I was so excited. Yeah. I, I couldn't like, stop oh, myself. <laughs> and you had I'm sorry. I'm sure you're great too. Oh. But, <laughs> but the thing is, that's so true. There are not that many of us. And I mean, I was, and you and I, we've had such similar experiences and backgrounds and starting as young females in this and also in democratic strongholds. We, you know, we just have a different perspective. And then myself being on the digital side of politics for a long time after the policy and lobbying work. I often was the only female in the room and or the youngest person in the room. I still am in that regard, especially in Louisiana politics. But when we find good, smart, like-minded women, we cling to them and we all help each other out. That is the power of this and this movement in particular. And what's sad and awesome at the same time is after I led that big training session yesterday for Women for Nikki and uh, which was inspiring in and of itself because there were so many powerhouses that I was speaking to, which was a little terrifying and intimidating imposter syndrome over here. And I was just, my phone was blowing up with just the kindest, most supportive messages from the national chairs of this and so many other people from the campaign, the entire campaign, staff and the Women for Nikki Coalition, everything else. I said, they, they are the most purpose-driven, mission-driven, kind, considerate, hardworking, passionate, responsive. That's a hard thing to get from people, especially in this climate. And genuine team-oriented group of women I've ever worked with, ever. And I said, on top of it all, I have never in my entire life and career felt so encouraged, empowered, 
valued, respected, appreciated, recognized. I've never had those things in my career and in my life, which is a story for another day, probably 10 different podcasts or books. But that wasn't my lot in life. I had some pretty absolutely terrible situations and experiences throughout my life and career. And I promised myself that I would never let another woman go through that. I I promised myself that I would be a champion for other women. And when I get to that next run, I pull them up with me or elevate them ahead of me. Even at times when I didn't have a job or an opportunity or was completely being taken advantage of, which happens all the time because I give a lot and I'm more mission and values and and purpose-driven. And so rather just help people and it's a great but terrible quality. But even in those times when I was in need of help and never, and I still never asked for help, but while I was truly in need of help, if people would still come to me, other women in need of something, I would in a heartbeat reach out to whoever it was they wanted to connect with or if there was some job opportunity or client opportunity or whatever, or position available for a leadership position in an organization, I would immediately respond and, and make it happen. And I'm just, I, I just realized just the past few days, even so many people and women that I've kind of mentored and worked with, befriended through the years, had interest in doing something with, with the campaign. And I immediately contacted the campaign and now they're all on board helping wherever they want to help and doing whatever they want to do. And it, it, that's been just so many full circle mo- um, moments here. And when I was looking at the call, I saw a few people on there that I worked with and they're, I mentored and I recommended for women for Nikki. I had no clue that they had officially been contacted and brought on board as state chairs or in other really prominent positions. And I was so elated. And it just brought me so much joy and fulfillment knowing that, you know, seeing other people succeed and being a part of something they wanted to be a part of and maybe having the tiniest of roles in helping them get there and knowing that they will be so impactful for the organization and will help Nikki get into the, the White House like that is just such a beautiful and inspiring and empowering thing for me. And I just told them, look, I'll help you with whatever you need and want because I love promoting other women and everybody jokes that I'm like people's like personal PR publicist or something. I go to make introductions and it's like an 18 page thing telling all their highlights in life. And people are like, we just want to know your name. But anyway, I, I just told them like, just make sure to pay it forward and bring other women into the fold. Exactly. We need more talent because that's the other thing, not just any woman, not just anything. We need more talent and the people that are in it for the right reasons and will be the team players, will be the encouragers, the motivators. We need that. Absolutely. I, I think see- one of one of the things that you had said to me earlier was that women like us are really hard to reach. And the only way that we're going to be able to reach those women, the moderate Republicans, the Republicans in Democratic states, is by engaging us, right? Engaging and us going and finding our our people and spreading it. And I'll tell you, since I've been doing the the work for Nikki Haley and her as her Massachusetts chair and her and her regional regional chair, chair. I I have had 
So many people reach out to me and it's like, my cousin lives in New York. Can you please give her a call? Yes, absolutely. Like there's, and someone, one of the other regional chairs had said this, there is no job on this campaign that is too small for any of us, right? So no matter what level, and you you were saying about the women that were on the call yesterday, number one, I'm going to say you are a badass. So like, don't have imposter syndrome because you're a badass. But the women on the call, you were saying you're going through their LinkedIn profiles and how impressive everyone was that you had- I've never seen that. That many powerful women wanting to do- Isn't that cool? Basically volunteer That's exactly political people. And they're not, they're not political people. Some of these women, it's the first campaign they've ever worked on, but because they're motivated and they have so much to give. And, and again, it's like who's sitting and making calls with their coffee every morning to call into Iowa and New Hampshire. And, and that to me, the, when you've worked on campaigns for so long, when you have that many motivated people who are not necessarily in this business, who in if anyone asked them to do something in their job that was so beneath, quote unquote, so beneath, beneath them. them, right? Like my air quotes, yeah. so yeah. beneath them, they would laugh and say that's that's an, a job for an assistant or a low level person. But in the meantime, all of us are doing it. All of us are 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 working and and rowing the boat in the same way. And I feel this groundswell. I feel this excitement. I feel this percolating under my feet. And I mean, you see from the Zoom that we were on, how many women took time out of their day to hear from her and to spend that time with her. And I think it says a lot about Nikki. It says a lot about the campaign. And I think it says a lot about who they trust all of us to to manage this part of of the campaign process of the volunteer part um, for them. And and it's it's super exciting, right? Because again, you and I live in democratic cities. We're the ones that are going to be able to touch people that traditionally would not be touched. Yeah. Because it would just cost too much money in our media markets. Yeah. It, it is too difficult to figure out where we are from the professional level to the family level to everything else. And and quite frankly, I feel like I'm always forgotten about because my my type of politics kids. has gone out the window because it's it it was taken over by the extremes on both sides. Right. And you know what? I'm so glad you touched on this because this has been a major point of of contention in my life and so many others. And from all the work I've been doing, especially the past few years, to engage and empower women like us. I can't tell you how much work I've done in, in trying with, especially with a lot of national women's groups and, and statewide as well. There are more women that are being unaccounted for who don't feel like they have a political home or they don't have a home in general, they've they've never had an interest in getting involved in any which way or paying attention to politics. But the past few years have turned has have turned that that switch on for them. You can't not pay attention to this because it's all consuming and impacting every area of our life. And it's not something that we should look at and say, we turn to the government for everything. We like the the other side just wants to focus on that. Like the government's going to come in as our Lord and Savior. That's not that's that's not realistic. That they just actually screw everything up. But at the same time, we have 
serious, serious problems at home and overseas. And like Nikki was saying, like people don't feel like they're okay. People don't feel like they are doing okay financially or, or like even security wise, be it personal security, security in their own home, security overseas. There's so much anxiety that's building up. And when you don't, when people don't feel like they have a place to turn or a person to turn to, you wind up in, it, it, it's just, it's crazy. These people should be engaged. They should be reached out to. They're not in the voter scoring that the party and, and campaigns do. And I've been fighting that since I worked at the RNC. I said, there are large swaths of the population. And I would argue that this 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 group is part of the this silent majority that's just exploding. And we saw them impact ultimately the results of the 2022 elections where everybody said, well, that what happened to the red wave? What happened to the red wave was these people that nobody was engaging woke up, got decided to pay attention and to do something about it. And they they were so frustrated, especially about the the abortion issue. And it's not like these people were all say pro-abortion. They were just sick and tired of yeah. the craziness and the terrible messaging and the insensitivity yes. of things, the judgmental ways. And they they're genuinely terrified now about the wars overseas, not being able to pay their bills here. The fact that we have, you know, one one foreign president and presidential candidate who's facing up to a thousand years in, in prison for all sorts of very scary and serious crimes. And it, this, I mean, that the if you actually just pay attention to what he's being accused of, that is terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. Absolutely. And I'm, this is not like he just stole a, an, an apple from a store and forgot to pay for it. This is like crimes against our country and everything we stand for as Americans and our entire democratic system and our our nation's greatest secrets and, and international um, information um, intel that could literally start wars or, you know, end our, our population as we know it. And 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 there's just so much chaos and drama that surrounds him. Then on the other side, you have someone who can't think straight. And I'm not trying to be ugly in saying that. I'm generally concerned about his health and his well-being. I, I, I oh, it's elder you know, abuse. I, it's so not. It, it's that, so not exactly. fair. It's so not. Several fair. doctors have, that in, in, that I'm connected to have said that, and I have a grandfather with dementia. My grandmother had dementia and Alzheimer's like there there's, and just also by, by that age in your, in your seventies and your eighties, your entire brain changes. So there's just a lot going on there that is concerning and, and just looking at where things are. We have to have someone in there who can actually make decisions that won't jeopardize our entire population as we know it, not to mention everything we love about our country, not to mention our daily way of life or ability to put food on the table or gas in the car. And Nikki is the only one that can do that when you really look at the grand scheme of things. And she's done it before, but it's, and also there's the, you know, the, the reports about almost like a potential dictatorship that could happen under a certain person that shall oh, not be named. It's absolutely, 
Absolutely. I, I well, I kind of joke. You're you're much kinder than I am. So I, I do make a couple of jokes about the current president and and Trump's age because the average life expectancy of men in the United States is 76 years old. And so I've had this discussion with talk show hosts who have said, yeah, but Trump has so much energy as compared to Biden. Okay, well, Biden is four years older than Trump. Makes a difference at which, that age. Which makes a difference at that age. But both men are past their expiration date. So then you have to think very carefully about, right? I mean, they're they're both past it. So I don't I don't know that I am willing to play Russian Gamble. roulette with the future and with our country. And like Nikki says, we have a country to save. And so right now it is. I don't know what the Democrats are going to pull. I think the Newsom DeSantis sham debate that happened yeah. was interesting. I mean, it's it's all upside for Newsom, all downside for DeSantis. Yeah. And and for the Democratic Party and, and Demo- democracy with them seems to be a joke and, and continuously be a joke because I could see that they would switch out Newsom or switch out Biden for Newsom at some point during the convention process. And that doesn't feel democratic to me. Right. And I, really? think, yeah, I do. I, I do. And I, I mean, I've, I've floated this a bunch of times and I think that that is something that they would end up doing because, and they could do it at the convention and they can, and, and especially if it's Nikki. Yeah. So I think we have, you, you have that, you run that risk, but you also run the risk of Trump cannot can, is within the margin of error with Biden. And yep. so you're now taking a risk on two elderly men running for office, both who have seen their day as president come and go. And you have an opportunity to have a phenomenally strong, competent, capable, brilliant, experienced person who and just compassionate and compassionate. Not judge and and because I was going to go back to what you were saying <laughs> about the abortion issue is that when Nikki talks about the abortion yeah. issue, it it's is I, I, and and I think as a as a mom I'll tell you society with Biden and Trump society has become so nasty yeah. so disrespectful so and judgmental and, and judgmental right and and so i feel like it's time that we have a brand new leader and and nikki is not judgmental and when you hear her talk and and i'll tell you most women and educated suburban women are the women that we have lost and yeah. when she speaks she reaches those women because right. she says exactly that listen i am we should not be judging women in this decision, right? Yep. Here is my view on this, but that does not mean that I should judge other people. And I really do believe that that is how she lives her life. As yep. when again, as as a woman, we have lots. Our networks are so gigantic. We have yep. so many different people that we talk to and interact with and have relationships with. God, how exhausting it would be if we were all judging everyone that we come in contact with. And 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 I don't know. I mean, maybe you're perfect if you you are judging people. You're a narcissist like Trump or you're a guy who's been in office for 50 years and and you you don't know which way is who's a person, who's a flagpole. You're very confused at this point in life. But I, I don't want I, I just don't want to take a risk on either of them because like you said, I, I look at how much it costs at the food store. I don't even cook. And 
it costs me a ton of money every time oh, yeah. I go to the food store. I'm like, I'm not even buying meat. I don't know what the hell I'm buying. That's and it all goes us. bad in a day. And, and it all I'm, goes bad. And I feel, and I don't like wasting anything. And I'm conservative with money, but I'm also, I care about, I'm like, I'm, I'm like a typical elder millennial and single female. Like I, I care about those things, but I, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at this stuff. Like I can't afford how much it costs anything. to put gas in your car. Oh my God. It's it's absolutely absurd. Housing costs. I, housing. Housing. That is, that's that's the thing that nobody is has been talking about enough. But the, that is a huge affordability crisis. And how about the average generation? Age, yes, the average yeah. age of a homeowner now is forty nine. Yeah, forty nine. Hey, listen, I'm telling you right now you out there listening to this podcast, the average age of a homeowner is 49. That is old. I'm older than 49. And that is old. Like that is terrible that people, yeah. that is the average age. I mean, to the the thing that you look forward to in having a job and a career and and being able to, you look at how much rents cost versus what a mortgage oh, rent would be. Is rent is insane. You should own homes, but I mean, that's just, it's, it's unbelievable. And then, I mean, I, I have a daughter who wants to go overseas and do a semester abroad and the, the fear factor of her going overseas and doing a semester abroad and with everything that's going on overseas, or she's in college and thinking about my college and my high school age kids and fentanyl and what goes on. And it's terrifying. It is terrifying. Right. And so, so there are, it's not fake concerns. The economy is a real concern. Your public safety, the the national security, the safety of your family, that is all real yeah. stuff. And no one can say to you, hey, listen, you know what I think is a more important issue right now? Pick anything that the squad says, right? Like yeah. anything that they say, I'm like, it really is that, that, that is the most important thing that you're thinking of that we all need to have electric vehicles by 2030. No, it's tone deaf and ignorant. It's like, not, it's that's not right now, right? Like it's something yeah. that we work on. It's a priority. It's a policy. Yeah. It's a, but it is, but if you look at the things that are important, keeping a roof over your head and food on the table and keeping your family safe. There's nothing that there's no one who's going basic to say needs. it's basic, basic needs. needs. Every they're not I mean, being met. They're not basic being met. needs are not being met. And and so now is is a I think we have an amazing time where we have the right person for the right time with all the right people who are supporting her in this effort, who are able to touch and reach people our friends, our own networks in, in different states than the states that we live in all over the country and be able to say why, because like you, I, I did a podcast in, in June and I went off on why I finally found my political love of my life. And it's Nikki. Haley. Oh, I and, feel the same way. Right? It's like, I finally found my candidate. My like I waited my entire political life for this to find someone who, when she speaks, 
moves me, moves me to tears, gets, gives me chills because she gets it. And she's speaking the same language as I am and, and what resonates for me. And that is such a precious, as we know, in friendships, in any relationship, it is so precious to find that person who, who moves you and motivates you and speaks to you and, and you feel heard and you want to listen because you feel heard. Well, and and kind of like we're talking about for and just going off that and and earlier today and talking about people that just aren't being reached. So many of us that you know are floating in the middle who are just common sense people that care about the actual policies, the issues that are affecting the average person. Everybody is like dealing with we're dealing with literally the basics right now. The basic needs are not being met. Maslow's hiring not not there. We're like I don't know why we're looking at all these like. Rolls Royces when we're all still trying to like get on a bike to just like get from point A to point B right now in life because people just, we don't need all the shiny stuff. We don't need these big over the top ideas. People need to be able to afford food, afford gas, not to work 18 jobs, being able to afford it. Gosh, especially here in Louisiana, insurance is insane. Health and healthcare is insane. And then the basic cost and then housing costs. It's just, People don't feel like, and childcare and schooling, people don't feel like they can just keep up right now. Everybody, no matter your socioeconomic situation, no matter your career, your background, you look, everybody is struggling with something in some way at some point. And and just a really unique thing happened when one of the younger girls came on, um, or ladies, I shouldn't say girls, but I call her my girl. And she was a Gen Zer, which is the largest population, and they are single-handedly changing everything about our consumer habits, our markets, or the way in which we consume media, how even we shop now, like oh, yeah. where we're shopping, how we're shopping, how brands now have to have get involved in politics or have a, a sense of pur- purpose and some larger mission. And they they actually care about things. They're not just people that are sitting by the wayside and they understand how to communicate and use all the social media tools and technologies because it's innate to them because they grew up with it. And when she's talking about that and just talking about how, how the campaign and Nikki plans to reach, reach that demographic, which is, uh, like I said, the largest and it's just, it just keeps growing. Nikki instantly got it. I mean, she is a mom of Gen Z. She, has two Gen Zers in her home and in her life, she gets it. She understood all of this and was the one talking about that and understood that they can get out information faster than any of us could. And I'm a millennial. Well, I'm an elder millennial. I'm not that. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm worse than the forgotten generation. We're the sliver that got screwed by everything and everyone. And then we got labeled with all the, the millennials. Um, you know, we got the good life. You're not, and, you're not as cool. You're not as cool as us Gen Xers. You're, yeah, no, you're right no, on the you cusp. guys also got screwed. Uh, we got, we got totally, we, uh, we got, got totally screwed, but we, we have a support network of all of us Gen <laughs> Xers. We just all say to each all other the same you. thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You're, yeah you're, you're literally the forgotten generation. And uh, my sliver of millennials, I always joke, needs to be just like their own like generation. We're, we we saw it all, we went through it all, and we were 
they're in school when social media was like becoming a thing. When all the major tech companies are founded by elder millennials, we're changing the world. But I digress. But Gen Z, it was just fascinating to hear Nikki talk about it and how she said that they are the most important generation because they actually do care and they can have more of an impact and will have more of an impact on our political system than any before. And I mean, if you, I I was doing market research and I was doing a strategic plan for my high school. So much was, people still don't understand Gen Z that well yet, but there's enough out there where you can. But, you know, the way in which they consume news is differently. They're not going and watching the news. They're engaged on the news. Like they're actively consuming news, but they're not watching the news, not reading the papers. They're getting their news from TikTok, from Instagram, from other channels. Their number one search is not Google, it's YouTube. They go to YouTube to search things, even though it's all owned by the same parent company. But it is the number one search engine for for Gen Z. And now the next generation that's now going into high school is, I think they call it the alpha generation. Yeah, they were that's born my, the, my little one. Yeah. When they, they were born the year the iPhones, um, iPhone came out, which is funny because as I'm preparing all this research for Gen Z, I'm like... Oh, she, somebody's niece told me about, she's like, well, I'm, I'm alpha generation. I was like, oh God, I forgot about there's, there's another one of you after this, this Gen Z that no one's even talking about yet. You know, these poor kids have seen it all themselves, especially with school shutdowns and COVID and not being around friends and, and social environments for a long time. It just breaks my heart and, and having to grow up in social media. Yep. And that's why I think also, Nikki is, when I talk about her experience, it's not just her experience in elected office or her experience as an accountant, but it's her life experience. It's understanding what it was like when her college age kids were supposed to be in college and everything shut down, the world shut down and watching it from a a woman's eyes and seeing your friends and their little kids and understanding and feeling that pain of knowing that you have a friend who has a kid who has a mental health issue now because they were stuck at home or stuck wearing a mask for all that time and, and going through it with your friends, right? And and all of that adds into being a better leader yep. for, for all of us, right? It just it broadens your mind. It's the it's the empathy. It's that compassion that you can't teach that. That is no. not that is not a teachable emotion right. and and reaction. I, I just you and I can go on all day and, and I, we need to do another one about yeah. how we're going to solve this women in politics <laughs> issue. Um, yeah, because as Nikki says, she doesn't just talk about problems or present problems unless she has a solution. So we do need to do that. Yes. We Be like you and, Nikki. <laughs> we, we, we will. We're going to march in her in her five inch heels. <laughs> yeah. I can't do that anymore. COVID ruined my ability. Mine to, uh, too. Even Mine wear too. like an inch. Yeah. And I'm, then, da- I'm know, down to like digress. <laughs> three inches and that's it. But Cassie, it has been awesome to have oh. you on Political oh, Contessa. It is this. so, it is so fun. And it's just it's such a, again, I started with this. I will end it with this. It is such a joy to be in this space and, and to meet women like yourself over the years mm-hmm. and meet someone. And then we have told you're, you're down in, in New Orleans and I'm up in Boston, but yet our worlds consistently collide. Right. right? Yeah. And that is such a great blessing of, of this crazy world that we're in. 
it's 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 smaller than we all realize but i think people need to to realize that that it it is small we're all in this together we all have more in common than we do in, in we're just we all share so much and i think if we actually focused on that rather than our differences and just chose to accept people and be open-minded and considerate and thoughtful and have respectful civil debates. I think that alone would change everything for humanity as well as our, our political and policy situations. But this has been such an honor and a privilege and truly a joy. It's been so much fun. And I'm just, like I said, the biggest fan of yours. And and I'm so grateful for the genuine relationships and bonds that can be shared by almost like sisters like us that do so much together to try to, to fix this, these crazy things in life. And yeah, we're going to, we're going to change the world. I think all of us that just really want to make things better for, for one another and generally care about the future. Amen to that. Cassie, thank you so much for being with me. That is Cassie Ellsfeld. She is the founder of Shoreline Strategies. Just in case you need any digital marketing PR assistance, you know where to find her. And I'm Jennifer Nassour. I'm your political Contessa. Stay happy, healthy, and safe. Thanks so much for listening to Political Contessa. For all the ways to listen and to get the inside scoop on what's happening in center-right politics for women like us, head over to politicalcontessa.com. Contessa.com.